Don't Hide the Scars, a weekly podcast focused on addiction and recovery. Creator Flynn Anderson and host Darren Redman connect with a mix of celebrity guests, leading experts, and everyday people to discuss drug trends, drug culture, the struggle of addiction, and the redemption of recovery. Uh, Brianne Davis, author of Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Thank you for joining founder of Pain, Flynn Anderson, and myself, Jason Lachance, on the Don't Hide the Scars podcast. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get into all kinds of things because, uh, boy, you, you've, you've experienced the gambit not only within yourself, but within your marriage. And I mean, boy, if, uh, if there's a, a group of loved ones that I know that I've been able to reach out to, I'm really worried about this. Could this be addiction in this area? It's you and your husband, Mark, whom we're going to talk to down the line. I know we're like the recovery, every addiction couple, <laughs> you know, come to us for codependency, sex and love addiction, debtors anonymous, you know, Al-Anon, oh, AA, gambling. Like, gambling, all of it. We hit it all. We've done it uh, all. <laughs> uh, well, and it's great that you share that so openly because you really have become a resource. I mean, I've made acquaintances with so many people that are like, literally oh you've had Breon. yes i'll absolutely do your podcast so uh it's just it's just funny how entrenched that, that not only a hollywood couple with all the great work you do there but you've kind of become not kind of but this healthy side of hollywood yeah i mean well, honestly that's what i'm trying to do what <laughs> that's a new concept right Right. I mean, just right now, I, I don't know when this is going to air, but if you just look at Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's relationship, it's like you don't you yeah. get this image of what it looks like to have a relationship, the romance, the fairy tales, the love bombing, the gaslighting, all that stuff that we actually don't get to see how toxic it is, how validation, attention, you know, using your sexuality to manipulate and control, you know, that roller coaster ride we're all addicted to. So I'm really happy to be on this side because I was almost <laughs> on that side of the addiction. So many times I had relationships similar to, you know, them or being committed over and over with someone new every movie I went on. And it was just like, I'm so happy that I get to say, hey, I'm a woman in Hollywood, working actress, 25 years. I'm in recovery for sex and love addiction. I used to be addicted to attention, validation, falling in love, but I have a healthy relationship with my husband. And I'm really grateful for that. That is so cool. Congratulations Thank you. to Thank you. that. Yeah, it's uh, and one of the misconceptions that you help me break when it comes to sex and love addiction. And I've had people after the first time that I talked to you on a, on a different podcast, try to refute to know it's not in the, or what is it, DMMSI or whatever that, you know, and it's like it, people need to understand that, that those of us that have struggled with this, and I'm raising my hand, is we get a dopamine hit no different than any other substance abuser, gambling addict, et cetera. Yes. It is the exact same high as cocaine. The endorphins that are released into your brain when you're falling in love, have that first kiss, that first touch, that first intimate moment is the same high. So usually it's that first high people feel when they're younger, before they hit the chemicals, before mm. they hit the gambling and the money addiction, all of that, you know, so it's that first 
relational. Like we get addicted to relationships and usually under any chemical addiction is a relationship problem because it stems from our background. It stems from our family. It stems from society showing us what a fairy tale is. I mean, just watch one of the Disney movies. Those movies <laughs> drive me crazy. Like Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. It's like a man has to look like this and it has to rescue the woman. And it's this whole fairy tale. Like this is what real love looks like. And it's a it's a lie. It's all a lie. Well, Brie, I can tell you, I've been married for 42 years and it is definitely a lie. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And I've been for 17 years. My husband and I have been together for 17 years and it's not a fairy tale. Right. It might look like it on a picture, but it's not. It is a lie. Relationships are hard, but they're the they're easy and they're hard, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, well, let's break some of those um, where I was misinformed because I always figured, okay, men and women are going to manifest sex and love addiction differently. And you're like, nope. And then once nope. you started sharing, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm more, I'm more like your story than the guy that wanted infidelity in mm-hmm. the secret of seven women or whatever it was the misconception and that's why i spoke out that's why i was like hey it's not just a guy cheating on his wife you know getting caught going into sex rehab and he's healed first of all you don't heal from this addiction it's a it's a it's a brain disease it's not like a chemical disease so you don't heal so it that's worse for so you have to amplify i i have the characteristics that, that typical a male sex and love addict have. I was a cheater. I went from relationship to relationship. I had a lot of guy friends, you know, I did all those things, but the misconception is that, you know, you have a bunch of one night stands or you've had a lot of sexual partners. That's not true. A sex and love addict could just one partner. Mm-hmm. It's if they use their sexuality to main misconception. Every time I say I'm a sex and love addict, I'm a sex and love addict in recovery. I can't tell you how many times I hear somebody say, Oh, I wish I would have met you when you were in addiction. Like, oh, that's so hot. And I have to literally say, It is not hot to use someone, give you that self worth. It is not attractive. So that's the first misconception I always say. Through the time that you've you've been doing this, and I love one of the quotes from your book, the, the character in it, Bree's book is wonderful. I recommend the uh, Audible because Bree reads it herself. Uh, but my favorite line still in that, and I think you know what it is, is where the main character goes into the therapist and says, oh, you remind me of one of my other clients, a uh, high-class prostitute. Yes. <laughs> yes, that happened to me. That is a true story. Ding ding, it is a fiction book, but that is a that is a true one of the stories. It's because I wore a mask. I put on a mask. You know, as an actress I have a mask, but like I put on a mask t- in the world to get and be what uh, other people wanted me to be. It's like I would look at somebody and say, oh, this is what they want me to be. And this will will keep me safe. So I would act how I accordingly thought I could read them and give them what they want. But in the whole time, I was denying my truth. I was using them to mirror for me my self-worth, my self-love, you know, 
being having morals and values, all those things I let go of because I was with someone else. And I normally picked an unavailable person. So that's another thing is a misconception is that we as as sex and love addicts, love addicts, we pick unavailable people because we're unavailable. Getting in relationships that the person doesn't show away, it's because something in you is unavailable and you're picking that person. So that's the second misconception that I always say. Yeah. How, Flint, how familiar does that sound to our substance abuse days? You know, it just sounds so parallel. It's not even funny. You know, when, when, you, were talk, when you were talking about the, the mask that we wear, mm-hmm. I, I mean, my God, I wore a mask for 23 years, you know, yeah. because that's how long my, my addiction lasted. And it was so free to finally take off that mask, but it took me, I would say four to five years, I would have to peel Mm -hmm. parts of that mask off. You just, you know, once you become clean and sober, you just don't go, oh, here's the new (laughs) me, right? Because I've been living this life. Yeah, yeah. here I am ready to shine for the world, right? I didn't even know how to act in the world, right? Because I've been living this lie you know, for yeah. so long and, and, and the hiding and the sneaking around and, you know, and it's interesting that we're, we're having this conversation today because I tell a lot of people when you're in substance abuse addiction, mm-hmm. that is our love affair. Mm-hmm. We have a love affair with that drug. And even though I never cheated on my wife, I was cheating on her emotionally because that was that that was my love affair over there. That came before her. It came before my kids. It came before my friends. It came before everything, you know? So, so as, as you're peeling off that mask, man, there were some (laughs) times there were some things I didn't like when that mask was getting unpeeled. No, it's completely brutal. And I, and I, Jason and I have talked about this. It's like peeling that mask is the most painful thing ever for addict in any addiction and and you said your drink was your love affair i just snorted and drank people but the difference between your addiction and my addiction is you put it down you break off that love affair right you it's black and white you don't pick that love affair up again but i go out in the world and my love affair is everywhere sure my love affair is walking down the street is at the coffee shop is everywhere so it's like when you take off that mask you're like a toddler going out in the world going, how do I relate to other human beings in a healthy way? So you have to take away everything you ever use, meaning friends. I couldn't text, talk, email any men whatsoever. I couldn't make eye contact with men. I couldn't dress for anybody. I had to cover myself mostly. You know, all those things that we take away, we use use for validation and intention. And then you bring it back in a healthy way. And I tell you, bringing it back in a healthy way after the mask comes off is like the most painful existence (laughs) in the world. (laughs) Like, because it's just, you get, you're so raw, you're so exposed and you're hitting, you know, I'm seeing the vodka bottle, like right when I walk out the door. So it's like, it, it's a it's a really brutal disease to heal from. Yeah, I, I remember when I got out of my third treatment center, um, 
I remember coming mm-hmm. home and of course, nobody was talking to me. You know, uh, my wife picked me up in a borrowed Jeep Wrangler. I had two cars repossessed while I was in treatment. That was fun. And, um, but I remember, I remember coming home and sitting in my patio mm-hmm. and not knowing who I was, yep. not knowing how I was going to act when I walked off my property. Um, it was, it was a very scary mm-hmm. place to be put in. And I was 45 years old when I got clean and sober and, and starting all over again. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine because I didn't have to dress different. I didn't, I didn't have to do those things. And I've never, I'm very, I never thought about that before. Yeah. You know, the position you're in, I can see that, you know, where you literally would have to dress different. Yeah. Or, or wear your makeup different or, mm-hmm. you, you know, now we do have some relationship as far as using the phone and texting. And we have to get those people out of our phones because like, like uh, Greg Champion was saying yeah. the other day, you know, do that digital scrub. Right. Oh, where, yeah. You got it. All of it. Erase all, all of it. All of it. I, yeah. <laughs> Tiffany from Vegas. Gotta go. Right? Gotta go. But yeah. here's the thing. When you do this work, because it's a thinking disease mostly and with sex and love addiction, when you do this work, you realize you use everybody in your life. Yeah. So not just the people you're sexually attracted to. It got to it gets down to family members that are unavailable, family members you go to to make you feel better, to complete you that can't do that. Friendships that you use and they use you. So it literally, you have to scrub your entire existence. It's right. not just lovers and sexual partners. It's your entire existence that you, you actually have to break down. So right. in the end, it's you with you. And it's up for, and we've talked about it and, and it's in the book, but I remember when I got my six months chip, this guy came in and he said, I can quit hair. I had 33 years in AA. He's like, I've been dodging this room forever because I don't want to give up my main addiction, which is relationships. Mm -hmm. Because underneath this addiction, just like any other addiction, it's that core, core value of low self-esteem, fear of abandonment, fear of intimacy, fear of being loved. I am terrified of intimacy. To this day, intimacy with my husband is terrifying Mm -hmm. for me because it's like someone else really seeing me and connecting in that way is, is, is so painful that I still to this day have to lean into it after 12 years of recovery, 12 and a half years of recovery now. New Perceptions North, the premier drug and alcohol treatment and recovery center in Central California. A full continuum of medically supervised top quality care with programs for detox, inpatient residential treatment with dual diagnosis, intensive outpatient treatment, sober living, support groups, and more. With 50 plus years of combined experience and sobriety, Flint Anderson and Thelma Gatlin Wilson provide adult men and women with the highest caliber of professional health care, treating each client with compassion and respect in a safe, comfortable environment to begin the process of recovery to proudly create and sustain a life without addiction, call 559-978-1507 
or visit newperceptionsnorth.com. Well, and I think to to uh, touch on intimacy too, people always think when we talk intimacy relationship-wise, we just think sexually. No, 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 there's so much more. Flint and I were talking no. about that, that my girlfriend and I, we've been doing a, a financial class. Like that's mm. a big part of intimacy when it comes yep. to a relationship and so many of these things that intimacy isn't just the physical part. Right. Yeah. It's exposing the real authentic you in finances, in in your desires, in sexual everything, and even just holding hands or hugging. I my husband and I had to practice hugging sure. because <laughs> I, I would that. always pull away. You know, I was like too much, too much, too much. You know. Why, which I'm so surprised. Mark is such a loving guy. Come on now. But that's the, the thing. That's the thing that it doesn't, when you have this addiction, when you have this disease, it doesn't matter who your partner is. Yeah. He could be the most perfect partner. She can be whoever can be the most perfect person, which there is no perfect person. We're all flawed. It doesn't matter because it's never enough. It's that hole. It's that addict hole that we're always trying to fill with outside things. I just fill it with people. As I say, Flint, no outside solutions for inside problems, right? Yeah. Inside the inside job. <laughs> the right. inside job. Well, let's talk about it because when you finally confronted this, I think it's so pertinent for people to understand much like yourself, Flint, within your addiction. Uh, you know, majority of this stuff, once the initial confrontation for me, I was single, but mm-hmm. you and Mark were already full blown into your relationship. Can you share some of those steps and what that was like to really confront this? Because you guys put the relationship to the fire yes. and, and have come out, of course. Yeah, we we went through this what, four and a half years into our relationship, we were living together, you know, it just came to this head. And I'll talk about my dark night of the soul. And I say a little of this in the book, but it's in the second book more. But I had this moment when a mentor of mine passed away. And I found myself two days later on location shooting a movie, starting to intrigue. And just so you know, if you're listening, if you don't know what intrigue is, it's like a step up from flirting where you give out your number, you act more available. It's not just like flirting. So I started intriguing and flirting with people that I didn't even like. And I found myself like, almost like on this train, I couldn't stop. And I was like, Oh, am I gonna like, mess up my relationship again with this guy at home that I care about that I love as much as I could love. But here I am like just, just on this train that I couldn't stop. And I had this moment when I was looking in the mirror in my hotel room late at night and I was like, Oh my God, it can't be everyone around me, not giving me what I want. It can't be, Oh, they're, they're not giving me butterflies anymore making me feel special or that honeymoon phase of a relationship. Like, The common denominator in every relationship is me. So I had that moment looking at myself going, this something is wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I can't keep saying, oh, I'm looking for my person in the world. I hate when people say that. (laughs) It's like, there's no such thing as your person. Like It just drives me insane. And I say, it's like, there's no soulmate. There's no person coming to save you from yourself, from your own addict thinking negative thoughts or whatever you think you need to be happy in this world. If I only marry this person or have this dress or this house or this car, blah, 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 fill in the blank. But I remember, and I was looking at myself going, Oh my God, am I going to do this till I'm 80 years old? 
Like, am I going to be on my deathbed having one foot in a relationship and one foot out? And we have that saying, you know, in the 12 steps, you have your foot (laughs) in the future and in the past and you're pissing on the present. Like, that's what I was doing in every relationship. I would always had one foot in out and like just keeping my, you know, options open. And I just looked at myself and I said, I can't do this anymore. First of all, I don't want to hurt hurt anybody but go ahead what were you gonna say oh, oh no you, you you said something that just really stuck with me mm-hmm. when you when you sat when you said you know am i going to be doing this when i'm 80 yeah mm-hmm. and that is a, that's an extremely powerful statement now i'm not pushing 80 but i'm <laughs> pushing 70 um but and but you know brie i also think that oh jason the older we get mm-hmm you know, there's, how am I going to word this one right without getting yelled at? Um, <laughs> Flint, it's okay if you fuck it up. I abso- love you anyway. Yeah, absolutely, because I will fuck, fuck it up at some point. <laughs> um, you know, the younger you are, you don't see that. Yeah. As, as we start to get older, you know, into our 40s, into our 50s, definitely now into my late 60s, you know, I... I even, but at 40, I didn't even want to, I would say that, God, am I going to be doing this when I'm 70? Am I going to be doing this when I'm 60? Am I going to be doing this when I'm 80? I mean, yeah. that was the most ungodly feeling that, that, that I ever had because that's all I could see. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I was actually preparing either two things. One, I, I was either going to die from my addiction because Brie, I was, t- I was taking well over 70 and 80 Vicodin every day. And the, the other part of that is, okay, or with my luck, I'm not going to die and I'm going to be stuck in this addiction for the rest of my life. And yes, I am going to be doing this when I'm 80 with yes. all the medical problems. And, and now my wife is gone and my kids are gone and everybody's left me. Yeah. You know, it, it's, um, that is just what you said that though, that was just, that brought back a lot of shit, right? <laughs> I mean, it really did. And just right now, Thank the stars. I am uh, I'm clean because I don't yeah, because go down that road. I know so many people at 45, what you said you got sober, they just are like, well, this is who I am. I can't stand that saying either. It's like, no, this is not who you are. Right. You can change at no matter what age. We have, you know, I have women that come in and men that come in at 75 saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So you can change right now no matter how old you are. And that's what I, that's what this recovery has proved to me that anybody can change if they're willing to do the work and you are willing to do the work just like I was. Cause I just thought, wow, am I going to be on this life? Never connected to another soul. Am I going to be on this life? Never knowing what true, true love is not fantasy love, not romance, love what the TV and movies teach us, but real love. Mm -hmm. So that was the moment I surrendered. And I, I, you know, called that therapist that Dr. Kath in the book. (laughs) And she said that to me about being looking like a high class prostitute that I wear the mask of a high class prostitute. And I said to her, I've never had a one night stand, which I haven't. I've never had many sexual partners, which I haven't. And she said, no, you can be a sex and love addict and only have one partner. Mm-hmm. And she made me do the 40 questions and, and Jason and I have gone through <laughs> them and they're brutal. And I, and I say my number, uh, you can, you know, my number's pretty high. It's in chapter three, but these 40 self-diagnosed questionnaire, we went through it and it was like a light bulb went off. 
And I got my car on the 101, crying my eyes out, calling my boyfriend and going, "Ah, I'm a sex and love addict. She says I'm a sex and love addict. And here's the beautiful thing. I picked a partner that was sober. So my higher power had, you know, had a path for me. I picked a partner who was sober in AA at that time for 20 plus years. He got sober at 19, Mm. you know, he's 33 years now. And he highlighted every meeting I could go to in Los Angeles, which Los Angeles has the best sex and love addicts anonymous program here. Yeah. Our program is amazing. And I went to a meeting that night and I saw 30 people. As you guys know, when you go to a room, it's like, nobody's the same. Everybody, you know, looks different, has different jobs, every ethnicity, every sexuality, but everybody there said something I resonated with. And for the Mm -hmm. first time in my life, I knew I wasn't broken. I knew I wasn't alone. I knew that I just didn't have the tools to have healthy relationships. It wasn't modeled for me, you know? So that was a moment when it's just like, I took my hands off the wheel and I just said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to really do this program because I can always go back, right? Right, I can always go back and act out. That's the easy part. This was the harder part. During my recovery, my boyfriend and I that lived together, that's my husband now, didn't have sex. He wasn't allowed to comfort me. He wasn't allowed if I was crying. I went to therapy twice a week. I did the 12 steps. I cried every day for nine months. I literally wanted to crawl out of my skin. It was the most painful thing I've ever gone through. Mm -hmm. But today it's like the best thing I've ever gone through. Sure. Absolutely. Um, But that was the journey and we stuck it out. And as you will hear later, he went, hit a deeper, you know, recovery in his addiction with money. Um, we got to grow together and and I'm so grateful that I got to do that with a partner that stood next to me. Yeah. That's the difference. A lot of people think when they do this program that you're going to find that partner or like <laughs> the person is going to come after you do all this self work inside. And it's like, no, if you can, if you have somebody with you that will grow with you and do the work and respect your recovery and their recovery and, you know, keep those sides of the street clean, then you need to stay in that relationship. And that's the thing. If you come into this program, sex and love addiction in a relationship, you're supposed to stay because it's not the person you're with. That's the problem. It's you unless it's abusive, obviously. And then if you're single, you're supposed to stay single. But I tell anybody, if you're single, stay single as long as you can, because it's well, really hard. Yeah. And, and, and a couple a couple of things. One yeah. is, um, uh, you know, we have a saying in, in AA, if you're single, right, is because uh, I get asked all the time, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to start dating. And of course, my <laughs> response is, well, let's see. The, the first year, uh, have you bought a yourself plant. a plant? Right? Get a plant. <laughs> get a plant. And if that plant lives for the first year, then you buy a dog. Yeah, you All get right? a dog. Now, or a the, cat. Or a cat. Now, the second, now, if both the plant and the dog live for two years, now you can start a relationship slowly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but the big question I wanted to ask you is when it comes to relapse, all right, mm-hmm. with sex and love addiction, you know, my wife has a, has a great saying. She, she, cause look, I believe this is a disease. Mm-hmm. I, I, I truly do, but I also believe it's a choice at some point. I want to, I want to be clear on that. So I have 21 years of recovery. And right. My wife puts it perfect. She said, you have been given all the tools 
to maintain your sobriety. If you go out and relapse today, she said, that's your choice. Mm. And yeah, because there's no trust. It's right. when you have, we call them, you know, we call them slips. I'm sure you guys do, but sure. that's how we say our slips, which it can be anything. So everybody has different, you know, yours is not drinking, but my recovery looks different than Joe Schmo next to me recovery in sex and love addiction. So everybody has different bottom lines. So for mine, it's no flirting outside of my relationship, no intriguing, no, you know, like I said, talking, texting, emailing any men whatsoever. It's different now because once you're in the program a while, your bottom lines get a little smaller, but at the beginning you, you know, it's this structure that you protect yourself. So, yeah, when you do those slips, it is a choice because there's something in you that's not trusting. There's something in mm-hmm. you that's still searching for this outside thing to complete you, to fix you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you slips can be in our program. Looking at porn is a really, right. really bad one and a big one for our recovery. Masturbating when you have a feeling because we sexualize stress, guilt, loneliness, anger, shame, fear, and envy. Pause. You have to say, why do I want to do this? Is it because I'm sad? Is it because mm-hmm. I'm bored? Is it because blah, blah, blah? So it's those things. It's like flirting outside of your relationship, obviously cheating, going on Instagram and DMing somebody. Swiping is a really bad one on our program. You know, even going on the dating apps and swiping and liking people, but then not committing. So there's that part of the slips, but there's also, you know, love anorexic where you shut down completely after a couple of years where you have to like do these new things to get yourself back out there. So it's a very complicated disease to define. And that's why a lot of people don't do the work because it's so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's literally everything you do, you have to question it. And then once you get that spiritual sobriety time under your belt, which not a lot of people have time in my program. It's, right. you know, it's one of the, the ones that was just created 12 steps, I think in the seventies. Right. So there's not long-term like 30 years is the longest um, 32 years. I think someone had, but yeah, I have 12 and a half and I'm an old timer with 12 and a half <laughs> years. So people turn to me and I'm like, Hey, I'm on my second surrender. I'm trying to just turn my whole will over to God. You know, like (laughs) that's what happens when you get 10 years, you do that second surrender where you have to even surrender even more. And it's Mm -hmm. just, it's the best thing, but it's the hardest thing. (laughs) It's a son of a bitch. It is. Uh, Just so you know, out of the 40 questions, I got 35. (laughs) And we worked on it, but uh, you know, he got me in contact with others. It did. And it, and it just has you look because you get to look at like, where do I go to those places to not mm-hmm. feel where do, Oh, I do that. I do this. And that's all it does. And it's like, okay, now I know now I'm aware. And now you're responsible. Like you said, it's a choice. This is a choice you make to leave the program, go out, go back to your unavailable ex who cheats on you or trying to find this new perfect person and moving in with them after a month. And then it shit hits the fan five months later and you're back right. in the rooms. So that's a choice you made. Right. You didn't use your tools. Right. So right. I agree. It's a choice, but also there's a compulsion, but yeah. 
You have to do the work. You yeah. have to look at why that compulsion is there and people don't get that. You have to, I, I always say, and I say it in the book, you have to dig through your shit to get to the gold. You have right. to dig through all the things that have happened to you, you've done to others, all that stuff to heal. Or well, you're just going to do it again. Right. And, and, and it's the same in substance abuse. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think the problem that we face is it's not the older people that are in recovery. It's the younger people that are in recovery, especially if these younger people are living at home. Mm. And, you know, mm. all of a sudden they, these parents see that their kids have 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and everything is fine. Everything is good. My son's back. My daughter's back. You know, they look so good. We don't have to worry about anything anymore. And then you talk about the proverbial shit hitting the fan. Okay. The, the, the families and the kid, they don't understand that this is a lifelong issue. This, yep. you, you, you are in this for the rest of your life. Now, you also said something that was very important, that obsession, that compulsion, right? That, that can sometimes hit us. Now I don't have that compulsion or obsession to use anymore, but I'll tell you what, if I'm watching, uh, let's say I'm just scrolling through television one night and I love that show house MB. Okay. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm, oh, I'm going to watch a little house. Right. And I turn that thing on and old Hugh Laurie, he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out that bottle of Vicodin and starts shaking it. That sends me. Sure. If I'm not prepared Knowing that scene is coming and he does that, I sit up in my chair and go, oh, I kind of like that. You know, um, mm -hmm. and then, then that's that's the that's the trickery, you know, in, in addiction. If you're not doing the work. My point here is if you're not doing the work and you see that you could be absolutely fucked in a matter yeah. of 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, think about it as this going to the movie theaters. And then seeing a love scene and you're like, yeah, you that takes me back to high school. That takes me back to the first time I acted out or whatever. That is what I'm dealing with, where you literally go and listen. You're in your car and a song comes on and it's an unrequited love or or whatever. And you're like, oh, I'm back there again. Yep. Yeah. So like a lot of movies are taken out. A lot of television shows. I mean, the number one movie Jason knows this is you cannot watch the notebook. Nobody can watch the notebook in slot. Like that's like the no go movie. That's the most bullish shit love story. It is. It's a love triangle and she's cheating and it's right. like all a big lie. But the thing is, it's like you have to do this work so diligently because here's the thing. People with this addiction, like other addictions, you whack them all to something else. It, you could now be, if you were drinking, you could now be addicted to Netflix. You could Absolutely. be addicted to a bad relationship. You could be addicted to being at home with your parents. Playing video games is a huge one now that is really plaguing people, that not living right. in reality. Anything you use to not live in your reality can become an addiction. And relationships are the number one. Yep, that well said. Every single recovery place I've spoke at, talked at, anything, any recovery house says the number one thing people lose their addiction or their recovery over is relationships. We'll take yeah. you down every time. Yes. Hello, Jason. <laughs> Wait, he's raising his hand just so you guys know. <laughs> but you know this because I reached yeah. out to you. I know. Uh, um, 
I think with any, with addicts, uh, you know, so many of us with, with traumas, and again, people always think trauma has to be something so extreme, uh, it's something evil. It is not. In, in most cases, you know, you're lucky if maybe it wasn't, or maybe you're not. Either way, we end up in some sort of addiction. Um, but establishment of boundaries. Yeah. What I think the techniques that, that, that you shared are so important if you could share those, because it would equates for anyone with any level of addiction, any kind, any substance, person, whatever it is. Yeah, I talk about boundaries a lot. I have, you know, that's the number one thing I work on with people is setting up really healthy boundaries, because if you're someone that picked unavailable people are unavailable yourself. You don't have any boundaries. And a lot of addicts, we don't have boundaries. We no. overshare. We, <laughs> you know, we, we jump in before we actually know no. someone because they give us that high because that's the same high as snorting that line of Coke, right? Or drinking right. that that drink or shaking your Vicodin or whatever <laughs> it is. But it's like those boundaries, those boundaries with family members, with friends and with partners have to be defined. And the hardest part is you need help defining them. Mm -hmm. So people think, oh, I can do my own boundaries. It's like, no, you actually need someone to walk with you to see it. Because as an addict, we don't see we lack boundaries, right. you mm -hmm. know? So that's one thing I talk a lot about is like having boundaries. If you're, if you're dating, like how long do you go on dates? Do you text? No texting. A lot of my boundaries with people are you're not allowed to text. Texting is false intimacy. It's not real. It's not two people connecting. Yes, maybe like I'll be five minutes late is okay. But when you're in a relationship, you should not text. You should pick up the phone. Um, so that's a big one I have for people. You know, how long dates are, when you can be sexual in dates, um, you know, rules about self-care with my partner. He's not allowed to do certain things and I'm not allowed to do certain things. So it's really individual. And that's why it's so difficult to always define for people because Jason, your boundaries might be different than my boundaries. And then you have to respect someone else's boundaries and know that 99% of the time it has nothing to do with you. So it's taking yourself out of that. You're the reason. First of all, I'm not you know, the center of the universe. I think that was the first thing as an addict when I got <laughs> what? Right? right. We're not the center of the universe. Exactly. I mean, my God. I remember I was like, what do you mean the world doesn't revolve around me? And that person ghosted me. I, I thought it was because something I did. And it's like, no, they're just unavailable. It has nothing yeah. to do with you. And it's like, right. first time it's, it's something I need to look at. Second time it's my fault. Second time yeah. it's my fault. I let that person back in again. You know, so it's like setting those up for myself and why do the things, what am I trying to manipulate and control? If I am, then I have to set a new boundary for myself. So it's very, very complex and complicated, but it's, it's the best way to live because there's this freedom. Mm -hmm. I used to think boundaries was about, you know, like boredom, oh, life's so boring and you're boxing me in. And I, I feel like I'm like a caged animal, but it's really freedom. It is. Yeah. It's freedom from self. You know, I love it. Yeah. Nobody cages us more than us. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. totally. <laughs> I, uh, I think a really important thing to share that when I think you'll find this really interesting is really where a lot of your stuff started. Of course, like so many of us childhood, 
But there's a really important piece in where your folks, especially your dad plays in that when mm-hmm. you were in high school in your dating life yeah. and your dad actually helped you hide boyfriend A from boyfriend B. Yeah. So, he was an enabler. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, all got those, he, don't we? Yeah, Flynn, yeah, huh? we, do. we do have those. And it's like looking back and seeing, oh, that's why it wasn't model for me. It was a, mm-hmm. it was somebody said it was okay or acted like it was okay. And then I ra- was off to the races, but yeah, I had a really complex relationship and I talk about it a lot in the book and nobody, and not many people talk about emotional incest. And when I heard that, that word, I, it makes me recoil because the word incest mm-hmm. is just like, mm-hmm. especially <laughs> as a young girl. But what I learned is emotional incest is when the child's energy goes to the parent, yeah. where it's mm-hmm. about the parent. And I experienced that where it was my energy was always going to my parents and not vice versa. And so when I got into the age of dating, you know, he helped me in my addiction, I would say, you know, if which happens to other people, they're drinking, their dad picks them up, they're at a party, they take too much drugs, parents come and rescue them. That was my dad. He was doing the best he could with what he had. He came from an addictive background. So, you know, I don't blame him for being an addict. I don't blame my mom for being an addict. Did their behaviors help my addiction? Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love them and I got to forgive them and I got to see them as human. And I also, you know, I had a year and a half off from my parent parents and I didn't even talk to my dad because he wouldn't mm-hmm. respect my boundaries. And I said, if you don't respect these boundaries, you're not going to be in my life. And I was okay letting that go is p- very, very painful because I love my parents no matter you know, we, as kids, we love our parents, no matter how shitty they are, like (laughs) you can have the shittiest parent and you still want them to love you as a child. But here's the thing that really healed me. And I got to experience, you know, my mother got to sat down and say, Hey, I did the best I could. I didn't have a great mom, but I did the best I could. And I'm sorry if I ever did anything that hurt you. And that forgiveness that like just someone acknowledging hey, this happened in the household. It was really traumatic. It was a really unsafe household, but I did the best I could, but I am sorry. And that's what I got to experience. Will I ever hear my father say those words? Probably not, but I forgive him anyways. And that's okay because I don't want to carry it anymore. And he helped me with my addiction, but I'm the one that took it on and did all the damage. I'm the one that carried that baggage and, right. and hurt so many people. And I don't want to do that anymore. Right. Yeah. That baggage is too fucking heavy. Yeah. Oh, so fucking heavy. <laughs> 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 yeah, and I, I mean, I know you are, you know, 12 step and stuff, but my fourth step of resentments, that baggage I was carrying was 176 people. That oh baggage, gosh. those Moses. resentments. For my fourth step, it took me two and a half years to do my fourth step. Well, how long did it take you, Flint? Mine was three pages. It was like three pages in them with the kind of the listing of why I think it was 16 people. Mine, mine went along with the book War and Peace. <laughs> um, that was I, mine. <laughs> it just seemed to take forever. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. That is a lot of baggage, you know, that we've got to carry around. And, and in my case, I had... Um, I blame my parents for the surgeries that I had to have. 
You know? Oh. Oh, oh yeah. I had, uh, the day I was born, I was thrown right back in the hospital and I've had 32 surgeries altogether to correct this little issue I had when I was born, but I blame my parents for so long sure. with yeah. that, you know, and then of it's course, like a know, warm it, blanket, isn't it? Ex- exactly. It is. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It feels it's so just, good. Oh, it feels so good. And, but you know, when I finally reached, you know, the age of 40, <laughs> right. It was like, this light came on. And even though I was still in my addiction until I was 45, it did come to me a little sooner. You know what? That was not my parents' fault. I mean, what an asshole I was, you know, how how stupid was I to even think that that could have been my parents' fault, you know, but I did. And it gave me an excuse. It gave me that excuse to go use because I was in pain, blah, 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 on and on and on. Ah, It's all a bunch of horse shit, but (laughs) you know, but it's, but it's, 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 real stuff when you're, when you're going through it. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, it's real stuff. And sometimes there are people that never come out of that. They never, ever come out of that blame game or, you well, know, it's cause it's a warm blanket. When you get to blame exactly. someone else, you get to lay in this warm blanket where nothing is your fault and you get to blame other people. And it's this lovely place to be, right. but it will eat you up alive and that's what it does and i just i i was thinking of your parents and it's so interesting because they probably did the best they could at that time right right and my parents i talk about it a lot is they let me see movies and television way too early so a Mm -hmm. part of me blamed them for letting me watch romeo and juliet and thinking true love look like you got to stab each other at the end (laughs) end. like so when I got in relationships, I was like, it needs to be this passionate. Somebody has to be willing to die for me. And if they weren't, that wasn't a real relationship. Mm-hmm. So I blame them for so long, letting me see things when I was way too young to see, you know, letting me see the porn magazine in the closet and those kind right. of visuals that a young mind shouldn't be seen, which is happening now with the porn and young boys. It's like, the epidemic that is occurring. And that's why I spoke out. And I told Jason about this one time is like, I was in the meeting getting my 10 year chip and all these young men and even young girls, 20, 21 years old were in there because they cannot have intimacy. They are so disconnected because they're watching too much porn and they have an unrealistic expectations of what sex looks like, what romance looks like. And that was the moment I was like, I need to help more young people. Oh, I'm telling you, Brie, right now in substance abuse, Mm -hmm. this is a major topic Mm -hmm. for both young men and young women that these guys, I I mean, since I'm I'm glad COVID actually hit for certain reasons, because what it did is it wiped out a lot of massage parlors around this area. Yeah, because we've we've had an influx of, quote, a lot of these young guys in recovery. Right. But that's another story. Yes. But I mean, we've they've just transferred it. They just transferred it to the to the porn industry. Yeah. Right? And, that, and now it's that vicious cycle where they, they stopped using. They're not in recovery. They've stopped using. There's, what a, difference. It, and there's a big difference. Yep. Right. But now they have found the massage parlors. Now they're going to the massage parlors. Oh, then after the massage parlors, they're going up to the Indian casinos to gamble, right? This is all that mid-20s age range. Then they're coming back down. Oh, we want some money. 
or lost some money, let's go back to the massage parlor. Then at some point, it's like, oh, man, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to do that line. I'm going to take that oxy. I'm going yeah. to shoot that H, whatever, whatever it is. You know, so it's this vicious cycle uh, that goes round and round. And again, I, I have to say it because I always do. These parents are just fucking clueless. OK, over all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I help a lot of parents. I'm trying to educate on this addiction as the porn with the masturbation, with right. being on on social media so much. Yeah. All of this is really deadening our youth even yep. more. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't imagine how ho horrible a person I would have been if there was social media and how oh, porn shit. is available. I would be mm -hmm. like a monster and right. I probably wouldn't be alive because right. here's another thing. Yes. That we talk about alcohol and drugs killing people, but this addiction of sex and love addiction really is it, it kills. A, it's horrific. I'm not going to say it's worse than drugs and alcohol, but suicide, watch mm -hmm. any dateline. People are murdering each other over, right. over love triangles. This addiction people kill over just yeah. like, you know, the number one thing, sex and money people kill over. So right. that's why it's really important. I'm so glad you're speaking about because a lot of people in the chemical addiction go right to sex and love. Yeah, they they do, go yeah. right to it. Well, and as I shared with you, uh, you know, I had to clean up the one thing to find that there was the other thing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, fuck, I got to deal with this too. Because yeah. I thought they went hand in hand. You're telling me they don't go hand in hand? Wait. No, <laughs> it's a whole... And, and, and the credits don't transfer. That's the No, <laughs> they don't. You have to do a totally different level of work. It's like, totally. okay, I put the bottle down. Now put now some other shit stuff down, right? Uh, and, and, you know, and it's, it's, it, and there's so many people that I'm sure you went through it, Flint and Bree, obviously, you know, your primary area, but where it's like, okay, one mask is gone. Now I got to take off a yeah. whole entire yeah. other one. You know, I mean, I, I was the guy that became the recluse. And, and as we've talked about Flint, <laughs> Flint's grinding me, buddy, you need some fucking hobbies and some healthy <laughs> friends. Cause it's like, Home, kids, girlfriend, work. I'm good. It's like I keep oh. telling them find a find something to do. Okay, I mean you just can't stay in that yeah routine. So it's you still can't. that process. Yeah, yeah, you can't, and that's that. I always feel like that's that second surrender where you can trust yourself to then go out and experience more of life, and 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 you will be fine. But the, when we get into recovery, a lot of times we then go into this hole where we protect ourselves, and it's called social anorexia, and that's why you know the love anorexia and social anorexia, where you're you are so afraid of bringing anything anybody else in your life because it might create drama. It might mm -hmm. trigger you. And you have to trust yourself because you have to be in relations with other people. You have to have hobbies. You have to go do these things because you can't, it's not sustaining just in that small world. Recovery is not to, it, it is at first to make your world small, but then it's to expand your world. It's not to stay in that small. Right. The only, the, the only thing that my family will gripe about it, anything is now is that I have taken golf to a whole new level. <laughs> well, that's okay. probably your new addiction. <laughs> that is, it is, yeah. and it, and it's something I love. But like I tell everybody, it's not going to kill me. Not yet, anyway. But it's not going to kill me today. But here's the thing. <laughs> it might keep you from having intimacy with family members. Of, it might of, keep of you. Yeah. yeah.
So that's where I really work on with people. What are you doing to actually keep you separated from your loved ones? Like, sure. so it could be anything. It could be anything. And again, what, what I talk about when I'm addressing different organizations, it's balance. Okay. Totally. It's all about balance. It's all about balance. You know, look, I, I know I said that a little bit about golf, but, but I make sure that I play at least twice a week. Because that's that's where I go. I can I unwind. I spend it with with friends. That's um, your self care. That is my self care right there. Yeah, you know. And I'll tell you what, it's better than picking up that bottle of Vicodin, or it's yeah. or it's better than going to a massage bar or wherever. You yeah. know, uh, and that's a, that's a good safe place to be. But it's also taken me years to find what that balance is. Yep. Um, balance doesn't come naturally. You know, you don't find it in, in the first year or 10, you know. I love it that you said balance doesn't come naturally. Addicts do not like balance at, at all. all. We don't at even all. know how to function in balance. When it's no. balance, I'm like, balance what's going this. on? <laughs> <laughs> Give me excess. What are you talking about? Right. I need another dopamine hit. Right. My, my Give me mantra some serotonin. was more. Yes. Know, more of everything. Yes, more. I want to feel more. That's the thing. And I was just talking to Mark about this. My husband. Um who you said is coming on, but when I experience joy now, I'm not used to what joy feels like because mm-hmm. I used to attach joy to my high. Yep. So like it took me a long time and still to this day, after 12 and a half years, what does joy really feel like? Cause I don't, mm-hmm. it, it never measures up to that height. That that high. And so I had to learn what joy was Mm -hmm. because here's the thing. When we deaden, you know, sadness, whatever we're running from, we deaden everything. So you have to learn all these new things. What does happiness feel like? Right. Yeah. So that's the new level I'm at. (laughs) And what I found is that joy, like genuine joy is connected to purpose and those in active addiction you know, you seek pleasure over purpose because you don't have one. But right. once you start to find purpose, you can have genuine uh, moments of joy. Exactly. Totally different. But as an addict, my mind then goes to, but it's not, it doesn't feel as high as the old type of joy I thought. So it's right. like, what's this new joy feel like? And I've been really, really discovering that and really like leaning into what those emotions actually are supposed to feel like, not what my fantasy thought they were supposed to feel like. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But I'm going to go back just a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, this age thing. Okay. Uh, I'm big on this age thing. (laughs) Um, uh, But there, there is so much in my recovery that has honestly just come to pass. Mm. If, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, without really working at it, without, you know, reading a book or this or that or the other thing, just as I get older, things start to mellow out a little bit. That joy starts, starts to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, little things like on Mother's Day, we're at, we're at our, our, my brother-in-law's house and just throwing a baseball with my grandnephews in the backyard. That was the, that was joyous. Right. Yeah, you know, that was that was joyous. Plus, I haven't thrown a baseball in twenty years. Okay, <laughs> but uh, so I so I dunk one in the pool. Um, but yeah, as we as we get older, and I think you guys will learn also as as you get older, 
some of this stuff just kind of comes naturally back because of the work we have done. We may not see it right now, but I'm here to tell you, if you keep doing what you're doing, at some point, it not all, but some of it just kind of falls in your, the good stuff yeah. just kind of falls in your lap. Right. And, and, and now that you, then when you are older, you go, oh, I recognize that. Yeah. Well, that happens to me now. I just had it with my son and I was just like spending time and he looked at me and he smiled and it was like, oh, that's it. Like you have these moments where you're like, oh, it's it's when you're fully present. And before as an addict, you were never fully present. We're always thinking about the next or what's next or what's next or in the past. And it's like when you're fully present, that's when you get to experience it. And you have those moments that are just there it's that overwhelming intimacy that I've always been terrified about Right. that overwhelming, like you see another soul and they get to see you at the same time. Yeah. Well, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Lachance, do you have anything else for Miss Brianna Davis? Other than this has been just joyful. Okay. Oh, and, and me yes, too. This has been just wonderful. I, it's been a pleasure meeting you. I hope we, we get to do this again sometime. I'm looking forward to meeting your husband. Um, can't wait to talk to him. Right? Oh, Mark's the best. That's, that's he's what, the best. That's, he's the better half. <laughs> better half. Better <laughs> half. Well, I'll make that determination after I talk with Mark. How's that sound? I'll play that back for him and then I'll go, can you send that to me? <laughs> but it's true. It's like uh, you have to find someone. First, you have to find yourself and become your own soulmate. Then you can allow someone else to show up for you in a healthy way. Yeah. And they get to make you a better person. And my husband makes me me a better person every day. So I'm very grateful that he's in recovery, doing work on himself. I'm in recovery, doing work on myself and we get to experience life together and be present with each other. So I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you both. I I love you, Jason. And I can't wait for you you guys to talk to Mark. Heck yeah. Thank you. Um, Tell everyone about, uh, of course, we didn't even get into the podcast and amazing work you're doing there. When you have part two of the book come out, we'll have to talk to you again, but tell them about the podcast and the book. Yeah. So um, my husband and my podcast, I'm the host, is called Secret Life. We tell other people's secrets. The moment I spoke out about sex and love addiction in my HuffPost article two years ago, I had two million hits and people reaching out to me. And this last bit of stigma and shame was just lifted. So I wrote the book to help people. It's called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. You can go get it now on Amazon and audiobook, uh, Kindle, whatever. And I'm really, really proud of it because it's changed people's lives and and brought awareness to this disease that nobody talks about. And on Secret Life, I get to talk about it, but also other people's secrets that they carry around with shame and stigma. So thank you Absolutely. for letting me come on. Absolutely. And the book is done master, masterfully. I, I recommend the audiobook. Bree, you do such an awesome job of reading it. The great thing about it is, yes, Everyone will be entertained by it, but yes. if you don't go, oh shit, that's me at any point, then you're just lying to yourself. I hate totally. to tell you that. <laughs> go back and listen or read again because you're bullshitting yourself. Bree, if you can leave us with soulmate, because you nail it perfectly, what a soulmate is. Yeah, so I said soulmate is yourself that I'm my own fucking soulmate. I'm going to complete myself. I'm going to give myself joy. I'm going to love myself. 
I'm never going to abandon myself. I'm going to live and die with myself. No one else is going with me. So I might as well love myself the most. So then I'm allowed to love somebody else. So that is, that is what I say. I'm my own fucking soulmate now. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please don't waste another minute. Start the road to recovery now. Call Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551. Or if you have a story to tell, connect with us. 559-579-1551. Parents and Addicts in Need is based in Fresno, California. For more info, visit gotpainusa.org.